Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Great Quarter Guys, where finance and freight meet, and we talk about everything in between. My name is Kevin Hill, here with Andrew Cox, and we are going to talk some finance today. Yeah, Kevin, we got a big show packed uh, for you today. We we're going to talk a little bit about credit risk and the you know the inevitable accounts receivables risk that's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks, especially here in transportation because everybody uses payment terms. Everybody has uh, mm-hmm. you know some sort of they lend credit to their customers in, in some sort of way here in this industry. Yeah, and we will we will keep talking about credit risk, and it's not bank credit risk or revolvers or bonds. It's mostly you know ninety nine percent of it is going to be that customer credit risk. So in times like this, when you know you have unemployment or initial job claims at least that are over three million, six times the the the, the record, and you have a national crisis like coronavirus uh, sweeping through or a pandemic sweeping through the world, then you know basically you have liquidity risks. You have cus- you're, you're extending credit as you just said to your customers, and you're hoping that they pay you number one, right? And pay you in a timely fashion, number two. Right. You know, the, the, the title of this episode is When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Extend Their Credit Terms to 90 Days. That seems to be what we're going to see a lot. Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Rinchler about what he's seeing from his clients, whether they're extending payment terms. A lot of people are having to do that because of, you know, a lack of demand for some of the products that they would be moving. Yeah, I, I think a lot of, especially if, you, if you're in a trucking company or a freight brokerage, you're going to have a lot of customers, even shippers, right? And this is one of the reasons why you're going to have those, uh, those conversations with your customers is that everyone wants to talk about extending payment terms, changing payment terms, uh, whatever they can do to hold off, hold on to as much cash as possible. Uh, we saw that, uh, I, I think it was yesterday or maybe this morning it was reported, uh, you know, in, in ArcBest's 8K, they drew down, a, a, I think it was a $180 million revolver, a line of credit, uh, just to have cash. And you're going to see this played out company by company, not only in transportation and logistics, uh, but, you know, most of it, if you're in that that if you're in that industry, you're going to see shippers doing the same thing, holding off, holding on to as much cash as possible for the longest amount of time they, they can get away with. I mean, companies are having to face really difficult decisions right now, whether it be from payroll or who who they decide to pay, who they you know who they decide to not pay. So we're going to see people drawing down those those cash reserves. They're going to draw down their credit lines. They're going to do whatever they can to try to uh, you know suppress the the impact of this to their own company. And of course, a uh, two trillion or two point two trillion uh, actually uh, stimulus package. I, I keep relief, on saying yeah. bailout, but it's not really a bailout. It's more of a stimulus package uh, that that allows for a lot of loans to be made to small businesses to to keep payroll going. So that's a, another form of liquidity mm-hmm. uh, that that companies, especially small businesses, can can tap. And that's something we'll talk about with Peter. He's been following that very closely. He had a couple. I think he has an article about out about the CARES Act. I know he has a, a LinkedIn post uh, right now. So uh, so, but before we get there. You had something something else in the cards for I today. I do, yeah. I've got two little points to make. Uh, one of them is an update to our long short from last week. I think this would kind of be fun. Uh, as we do these long shorts weekly, we kind of talk, touch about them on the next week. You know, were we right? Were we wrong? Uh, how far off were we? Uh, so last week we had two long shorts. The first one was what was uh, what was longer? What, what were you more likely to see? Was that be a national lockdown or uh, an encouragement to go back to work? And we didn't see either. We kind of saw uh, something in the middle there, an extension of the uh, quarantine measures 
Panthers through the end of April. Yeah, you know, we, we, we didn't see either. And, and basically the first part of that was uh, going back to work uh, is, is off the table. There's been a little bit of mentioning about a national lockdown. I don't think we're really quite there yet or if we will, but that's still kind of in the discussion, right? The, the, the April 15th, I think, or the Easter, mm. uh, going back to work, uh, that's been extended, and, and that's that's basically where we are right now. Right, so we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on the possibilities for that national lockdown here uh, in the next couple of weeks. But our second long short that we did last week was on the jobless claims number that came out last Thursday. Uh, we did over under 2 million. Uh, I think we both 2. took... 2.5. Yeah, 2.5 million. We yeah. both took the over, and we were both correct on that one. It came out to be 3.3 million people. We, we did, and I remember you, you, had, you, you came out of the gate at 3 million, and I was just like, well, you know what, I'm... 100% of the time, I'm going to take the under on 3 million. 2.5, I thought was a good line in the, in the sand because do I go over that or, or, or under that? It's just right there on the estimates, but it was over 3 million. Yeah, it blasted past there. And again, these were the initial jobless claims. So people, uh, people, um, I'm sorry, they're applying for unemployment benefits for the for first the, time. For the first right. time, right? So, That's you know, key. and we're going to have that number again this Thursday will come out. It likely will be in the millions again as more people continue to apply for these unemployment benefits, especially now with the, the added benefit that this, that the CARES Act, that the Economic Relief Bill adds to that. Mm-hmm. I have friends that had already applied for unemployment that were getting something like 200 or $250 a week, and now they're looking at something like $600. Uh, so I think that encourages even more people to apply for these benefits. I, I think so, too. And you're, you're seeing that, so, so basically a lot of, you know, the discretionary spending, basically department stores out there who are struggling, they're closing up at least for two weeks, and that's been rolled over to, to four weeks. Uh, you know, Macy's being being the one from yesterday that announced uh, that they're going to start furloughing employees. So you're going to start seeing kind of, you know, those, those companies that were paying two weeks, even though they were closed down, or four mm-hmm. weeks, those are those employees are going to start getting furloughed here right. in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to see probably the initial jobless claims again that are, um, that are quite, quite high. Yeah, you know, and these, I mean, are, just, these are massive industries. High. Uh, really? You know, retailing. There's there's over 16 million people in America that work in the retail industry. So uh, we're going to see. I mean, a, a, a vast swath of them laid off if they haven't been already. Uh, so we'll continue to, to track that unemployment number. We're, we're actually going to do a long short on the the overall unemployment rate when it comes out. Uh, I think at the end of next week. That will be for March. We'll talk about that here at the end of the show. It'll be Friday actually. End of oh, okay. this week. End of this yeah, week. The, well, I, I, I believe so. I think it's the first Friday. Of, of every new month. Well, on the topic of new data, this is the, the new segment that I think would be kind of fun to do. Uh, we're going to have just months worth of horrific and sad economic data coming up in the next, for the mm-hmm. next, you know, foreseeable months. I think it would be fun to find one good piece of good economic data of some positive things you're seeing, try to find a, a silver lining or a little bit of green shoot in this bad data. And we had one that came out, I believe it was yesterday, and it was the Chinese Manufacturing, the Purchasing Managers Index, or the PMI for China. Uh, the pre- Previous month, when it came out for February's number, was 35.7, which was uh, which was mm-hmm. very low. This is one of those diffusion indexes where above 50 um, indicates expansion and below 50 indicates contraction. And we were at 35.7 last month, but the number came out for March, and it came out at 52, which was far above expectations, um, meaning that the, that the Chinese manufacturing index is in slight expansion mode. I, I don't want people to run to the hills and say everything's back to normal because it's not, but the fact that they were able to get at least this much production back up is a good sign. It's, it's a good sign, um, but, but again, the 
demand for that that manufacturing production maybe not there. Um, Maersk, and, uh, there's been a lot of blank sailings lately, right? And a joint venture between Maersk and I forget the other company. Uh, it's, it's basically cut ocean ocean transportation down by twenty percent, right? And, and they're canceling quite a quite a bit of, uh, of of ships coming both to Europe and of course here to the United States. Right. Of course, there's two sides of that equation. There's the there's the production side and then the demand side from all of China's trading partners and every one of China's major trading partners are still, you know, behind them when it comes to con- containing and controlling uh, this coronavirus. So this this. Uh, this recovery is going to be gradual, uh, and they, they're still lacking a lot of the demand from their trading partners like the U.S., yeah. for example. All right, very good. Well, I think we have Peter on the phone ready on Skype, and hopefully he'll appear here on the screen at any second. Hey, can you guys hear me? Uh, we, there you are right there. Very good. Right on time. Right on time. How are you doing, Peter? I'm great. Good. Good, good. Yeah, this- I'm great. Yeah, so so this is Peter Rentschler from Carrier Direct, and why don't you introduce yourself, tell, tell our audience, tell, tell the listeners out there uh, exactly who you are and what Carrier Direct does. Cool, yeah. Uh, hey, everyone. So my name is Peter Rentschler. I'm the, I'm the CEO at Carrier Direct. Um, so we are, we're a um, strategy consulting and, and technology services firm focused entirely on logistics and transportation. So we work with trucking companies, freight brokers, um, shippers, retailers, manufacturers, also technology companies on everything related to how their business runs, um, how to run more efficiently, um, growth strategies, and also technology strategies. Great. Perfect. Uh, before, yeah. we, before we jump into credit risk, which we're, what we're going to talk about today, uh, what's your take on the market right now? Kind of what your take on the market and, and basically the economy too. You know the trucking market, the economy. What do you see? Yeah, now? so so it's interesting. Um, we've been talking to a lot of our, we've been talking to our, our our customers and just friends in the industry over the last couple of months. Um, or sorry, excuse me, the last couple of weeks. You know, so a couple of things have stood out. One. You know the folks. The folks that have better customer diversification are hurting a lot less. The transportation providers that have um, that are just focused on maybe like automotive are getting hammered, obviously, because all automotive manufacturing has been put on hold for 30 days. Um, folks that are that are more exposed on like CPGs, or they move a lot of like Walmart freight, for instance, Dollar General, um, they tend to be in better shape. Um, you know, overall. I think that the stock market kind of, I think that like the stock market as a whole maybe overreacted a little bit. Um, but I do, I'm surprised at the bull market run that happened last week. Uh, I, I heard you talking about the over under on, on unemployment data. Like, um, I, I think that we're in for another shocking number to be announced this coming Thursday on last week's data. Um, I am optimistic about this, the CARES Act and the stimulus package that's put in place. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit on the segment, but I, I do think that everything is kind of lining up to, hey, we think that we can get this under control in the next one to two months. Federal uh, federal guidance has extended, um, and, the, and the stimulus package helps with payroll during that time. So, um, you know, I'm I am I am cautiously optimistic uh, around these timelines of kind of having things quote unquote 
back to normal kind of around the end of May or early June. Okay, so so late May, early June, everything kind of starts ramping back up at least, right? Yes, start starts ramping back up, and I think what what we what still remains on what remains to be determined is like how big of a hole are we digging ourselves right now? And my belief is that that's why the stimulus package was put in place, and these loans for for um, for companies with less than 500 employees are put in, being put in place to avoid payroll or to, to avoid layoffs and whatnot uh, and, and keep unemployment down and kind of keep consumer spending uh, up. Very good. Very good. So I, I guess let's talk a little bit about the CARES Act to, to, to start off because we're talking about liquidity. We're talking about credit risk, and this kind of alleviates some of that going forward, right? I mean, this is part of, uh, of putting a floor under the economy, adding some liquidity, uh, you know, basically having uh, normal transactions going forward over the next six to eight weeks, right? At least until early June. Yeah, yes. I mean, at least for the time being, um, you know, it's worth noting that it, it depends very heavily per business. I mean, if you're a services, if it's a services business where payroll is a significant, is a significant portion of your cost, um, then it will help. Um, so, you know, like our, our freight brokerage, the freight brokerages in the space, um, I think it'll have a better, a higher impact on them, um, versus, you know, some, a lot of the smaller trucking companies, a lot of their drivers are 1099s, they're highly leveraged. Um, and so they're, the loan amount that they're able to go after, um, is only, is, is, uh, is only a certain dollar amount that, that may, may not be enough for them. Uh, to actually get, it, it may not be enough for them to actually get the um, to make the, the the debt payments that they need to. Right? Are, you, are you taking talk, talking about owner operators specifically right now? Not owner or, operators or smaller, or just smaller like smaller fleets, like the like the one in, like the two hundred truck fleets. Okay, the fifty truck fleets. Um, I mean, if a significant portion of their cost is just lo- is loan repayments, um, this certainly helps, but. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be a blanket a blanket fix for everyone. True. Uh, yeah, Kevin, I was just going to say probably a good starting point of uh, of one of these discussions would be just talk about normal payment terms and how the payment terms are changing. At least, you know, what you've heard from your clients or what you expect to hear from your clients. You know, if if a normal payment terms is you know net thirty or net forty five days, are you seeing uh, customers moving their payment terms out, or are they expecting to have to do so if they haven't done so yet? So. Um, the conversations we've been having are that they are they have noticed payable slowing down. Um, we're advising all of our clients to just have proactive conversations. I think that that's the best thing that anyone can do right now. Um, and it's it's not a phone call that says, "Hey, you've got deal, you've got payments coming up. Are you going to make them? And if not, you know, I'm going to threaten you." It, it needs to be, "Hey, what's your position? I need to know the data so that I can plan my business accordingly." What's happening in, in, in the broader economy right now is that everyone is trying to hoard, hoard their cash. So everyone is paying their vendors slowly and trying to accelerate customer invoices. And so keep in mind that if, if you have a customer that, that may be having to pay you late, they probably have customers that are also paying them late. And it becomes this vicious cycle uh, across that, that really kind of breaks down the entire economy and, and, cash move, and the movement of cash. 
It definitely does. So in transportation, so if you're a freight brokerage or a trucking company, normal payment terms for your customers, whether they be a, a big box retailer or a manufacturer, it's general rule of thumb is, is 30 days in, nor, in a normal environment. Is that is that right. fair? Yeah, that's con- that's consistent. I mean, there 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 are yeah, that that's fairly consistent. Okay, I, how often do you think uh, transportation companies, whether they're freight brokers, non-asset based or asset based, are now sitting down or, or getting called by their customers with a discussion of easing payment terms, extending payment terms, uh, or any other like creative solution? Um, for for their customers, I think it's happening regularly, and there's also, um, I don't know, I don't know how many customers are actually proactively calling and saying, "Hey, I need to pay you late." Like we we've heard a mix from some of our customers. Some of them have said that, "Hey, some people are actually proactively calling us and asking for payment extensions," and others are saying, others are simply just not paying the invoices and hoping and just kind of waiting for them to get caught. That's why my our, our perspective is the best thing that you can do is proactively reach out to your customer base and reach out with empathy. I mean, this is an opportunity to build relationships. And if you're in a position where you might have a little bit more cash or you can apply for some of these loans um, to, to help with cash flow, um, you know, try, try to figure out how you can work on a creative solution with your with your customers to find something that meets their needs and yours. I mean, th- this is really an op, and the same thing applies to your to your carrier base as well for the for the freight brokers. Peter, I'm with the idea that transparency is probably key in this uh, this environment, making sure that you have proactive calls. You mentioned something just a second ago about kind of the cycle, thinking about if your customers are asking uh, to extend your payment terms, you, they likely have customers asking the same thing. Do you think there's any subsector of the transportation industry that will be disproportionately at risk of this? Do you think it, you know, there's some sort of waterfall effect from shippers down to brokers, down to carriers, that possibly the carriers are left hanging? Is there anybody that's disproportionately at risk here? Um, well, we, we touched on automotive before. I mean, any, anyone who's anyone who has a core whose customer footprint is either direct, like the automotive manufacturers or suppliers, um, I think that that'll be one. Um, I you know I know for instance that uh, GM is looking at doing um, temporary uh, payment defer deferrals or uh, salary deferrals for their employees. Uh, so so that, that, that means to me that they're probably, that they're looking at their cash trying to figure out um, how to handle, how to handle what, what may be a, a, a rapidly reducing cash balance. I would also think that, that any industry that's heavily reliant on, on external, on imports, um, you know, we've talked to some of our customers and they've come back to us and said, hey, you know, our customers are, are considered essential businesses, so they're still working, but their suppliers are in China or in Europe, and they can't they can't get the the components that they need to put together their pieces to then move on. Um, and so that's 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 maybe another area that that we're seeing some impact where there's risk. So, uh, so, so basically, who kind of gets? I, I guess Andrew is kind please. of. But yeah, who who ends up in game musical chairs usually? Who's at most risk of not having a chair when the music stops? I, I think that's you know. I think what we're I think what we're going to see is um, I think it's going to become very clear how people manage their business at the end of the day. Like all of this just comes back to like what's the strength of your balance sheet? And if you've been 
if you've been running, you know, if you've been running your business, maintaining maybe one or two, one or two, you know, one or two, um, enough, ca enough cash or working capital to cover one or two, um, months worth of expense, which a lot, I mean, a lot of small businesses in, in the U S don't even have two months worth of full expense in the bank. Um, they, they just run it thin and they do distributions. And I mean, shoot, even look at the airlines, like the airlines need a, the airlines need a, need this, this stimulus package. And I, I would call the airlines probably the, uh, falls in the category of a bailout. So, I mean, so those, they, they've done $40 billion worth of stock buybacks in the last, uh, in the last five years. So I, I just think that that's an example of bad business management. Yeah, so, so Andrew was in here a couple days ago, maybe late last week or, or earlier this week, uh, with, with this saying that he, he found somewhere, right? You know, we, we're, we're employees working paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, the idea is that we're, we're employees working paycheck to paycheck, living in apartments that are owned by people that working paycheck to paycheck, who work for corporations working paycheck to paycheck. We're all really just broke people. Uh, whose idea was this? That's kind of the idea that we just built this whole thing off leverage and that yeah. none of us have ever saved up enough yeah. that we actually need. And that, that kind of leads up into my question I that, I want, that I wanted to ask Peter. Is like, do you think that something like this will actually change the way that companies prepare? Do you think, are your clients uh, mentioning anything that they're expecting that they will change the way that they save money and prepare for the future? I have an optimistic and a pessimistic answer to this. I mean, the Great Recession was like 12 years ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, like it, it, it is amazing. And, 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 and the situation that we're in today has been the case for probably five years or so, if not more. I mean, um, my, my pessimistic point of view is that, you know, people people forget and people forget quickly. So I would love to say um, I'd love to say that I think that people I, I think that, that there will be some businesses that this will fundamentally change how they manage their uh, their expenses. I think it'll change how they do distributions to shareholders, um, how they look at holding cash. But I also think the the, the pessimist in me and, and kind of the realist has me look at just looking at history. I mean, these things happen over and over over again and I'm I'm constantly amazed at at the statistics like how low the average the you know what is it like the average American average American couldn't come up with like $1000 if they needed to in a bind. Mm -hmm. Um I mean I I don't know the the specific numbers off the top of my head, but I I regularly look at those and just think um ju just have kind of a pessimistic point of view. You know, there's a there's this book called Sapiens that talks about like the history of humanity and, and, and evolution. And one of the points that's made in there is um, luxuries, become, luxuries become kind of like status quo very quickly. And it's been, it's been a part of our human, of like human nature for, for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and so I think, I think what happens is something that was a luxury, like a bigger apartment, um, it's okay, cool, I got a raise so I can afford a bigger apartment. Um, and all of a sudden, you just end up your your quality of life increases as your income does, and as a result, it creates this big backlog of where people don't have the savings that they need to actually support themselves. And, and that you know that I, I love that that commentary of like people working paycheck to paycheck, uh, paying rent to landlords who are who are paycheck to paycheck, and, and we've 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 found ourselves in this kind of over leveraged world. 
Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that will change, and this is a little bit off the, the, the finance charts, is the leanness of supply chains. I, and I, I think the adaptability of supply chains, I, I think every everyone's supply chain and logistics network is getting uh, a, a shock right now. And I think these uber-efficient supply chains, the, the, I think there will be more redundancies built in at least in the near term, right? Because there's life is kind of a pendulum, right? It's going to go extreme this way, and then you know it's going to get a jolt, and it's going to come extremely to the other side. You know, maybe really redundant, really lean, but where it needs to be in the middle, it seems like it, it never is. Um, so I love. I think that that's a great a great comment, and even you know, as you look at how many supply chains are dependent on on international parties or on like international players, that's where you, that's another, I think that that may be another layer of, of redundancy that may come into play is starting to have backup plans for, okay, mm-hmm. if, if we can't keep getting these imports that we plan on, like, do, do we come to a screeching halt? And if so, what's our backup plan? Yeah. And, and, and that goes kind of into the finance, you know, having cash on hand, you know, yeah, it's, 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 you know, you want to do stock buybacks. You want to create shareholder value with that cash. Have it invested. But times like this, it, it pays that to have uh, some money under the mattress or, or, or somewhere, right, to where you, you can access it. You can pay your bills. You can keep operating uh, through through a pandemic or a national natural disaster or anything like that. Yeah, I think. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I my hope is that is that businesses get smarter on the on cash flow and and they're looking at you know we advise particularly our smaller customers but really everyone like you should be looking at at a at a rolling 13 or 20 week cash flow forecast um on a on a weekly basis at least you know it's it's great to look at at gap based kind of accrual uh finance financial accounting numbers and your kind of income statement on a monthly basis but the reality is, I mean, you, you can have a month where it looks like you made a ton of money on paper. But if you're if you if you run out of cash, like and you have to miss payroll, that that can be that can literally completely uh, change the course of your business. And I think that that's uh, I think that that's unfortunately the reality that that a lot of folks in the space are in. Yeah. You know, cash is cash is king, as they say. Cash yeah. is cash is always king. So basically, if I'm in a trucking company, if I run a trucking company, or I'm a salesperson in a trucking company, or a freight brokerage right now, and I have mid to small uh, size businesses as clients, you know, not not your everyday names like Walmart, Target, or or uh, GM or Ford, but people, you know, maybe doing twenty or thirty million dollars a year in, in revenue, and you know, basically you're moving loads for them. How do you judge? Or can you even judge right now how much their credit risk profile has changed over the course of a few weeks? So, I, so you know, for those businesses, I'm a I'm a big fan of of the idea of like focus on your strengths and then leverage other services for um, for the things that you're not great at. And in my experience. You know, this is like if you're a thirty million dollar freight brokerage and you don't have receivables insurance um, and you're not using a third party to evaluate your credit risk, I think that you're already significantly exposed. Um, now, assuming that that's you know, since we can't retroactively change that, okay. So what do you do moving forward? Um, 
I, I would start by by calling all of your customers and understanding what their business, like understanding a little bit more about their business. Um, where do you fall in terms of their list of vendors? Like, are there higher penalties for their other vendors um, if they pay them late? For instance, maybe um, maybe one of their suppliers simply says, "Hey, we're going to stop giving you goods if you're if you're even five days late on a payment." So you know that 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 other vendor is always going to be paid before you. Um, I also I would look at I would want to understand like how many employees they have. Are they applying for these loans? Do they have capital supporting them? Um, and but 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 I think like all of these like I, I would start collecting data to create kind of like a holistic perspective on on how risky of a customer they are. And I, I can give you. Um, an example, there's there's an online website called Lending Tree that does kind of like small consumer loans. And even they they've started reaching they started when all this started happening about two weeks ago, they started reaching out to individual customers and asking um, and asking when's your next paycheck, like uh, what 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 um, who's your employer, um, like how much is your next paycheck for, how much is your rent? Like, I think you can kind of apply that same philosophy to your customer footprint. Um, and that's what I would recommend doing. Like, really understand what are their costs, where's their money going, and where do you fall in that prioritization of being paid. Hey, P- hey Peter, you mentioned something that I wanted to touch on, which was accounts receivables insurance. You said that, was it that any any broker with over $30 million in revenue, you would expect them to, to have it? My question was just how common is accounts receivables insurance, you know, specifically for brokerages? Um, I've seen it... <laughs> Uh, I've seen. I think that it's an area where people are penny wise and the dollar foolish. In my experience, it's not as common as it's not as common as I think that it should be, personally. Okay. No, um, I, I mean, maybe if, if I were to throw a percentage, I, I don't even know that I could throw a percentage at it. Well, that's I mean, fair. The yeah. uh, you know when we, when we talk about bad debts and the, the the amount that people have to write off as as you know uncollectible accounts receivable every month. All the ways of, of calculating bad debt are, you know, backward looking. They're looking at historical models. Whether you're doing a percentage of sales method or uh, accounts receivable aging method, they're all looking backwards. So, Kevin and I, and, and pretty much everybody here at Freightwaves over the last couple of weeks have have come to realize that almost all historical models can be thrown out the window right now. Uh, so, yes. yeah. you know, how are your clients? Have you heard anything from your clients on on how they're dealing with uh, their expectations for bad debt over the next couple of months? I think that I think that it's the same triangulation around how you look at credit, right? I mean, people use historical data because it's the data that they have, um, and so you know the recommendation of calling your customers and understanding what their business situation looks like um, helps you proactively get ahead of of bad of potential bad debt. I mean, I you know I, I couldn't say my 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 overarching expectation is that um, bag bag the bad debt is going to go up and write-offs are going to go up. But in terms of a percentage basis, it entirely depends on your customer, the customer segments that you serve and what your customer footprint looks like. But I would definitely, I, I would start predicting that. I would start looking at reducing credit lo- or the credit that you're extending to customers and also potentially even planning for um, higher write-offs based on things like, hey, um, what's your business? How's your business impacted by what's going on? How much cash do you have in the bank? You know, where do we fall in the prioritization of paying 
uh, you paying your vendors, and then are are you applying for any of these loans or any of this aid? I, uh, say two months ago, what was was what's your gut feeling for basically the 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 bad debt expense as a percentage of sales that say freight brokerages and, and carriers as well? You know, like hundred fleet carrier. What kind of percentage of a bad credit did they they hold on their books? Or did they take reserves for it, right? Or account for it? My experience was a couple percentage points. Okay. Yeah, like like whole a couple whole percentage points. I mean, you know, maybe less than five percent of total Mm -hmm. uh, of total revenues. If you're running a a freight brokerage or a hundred fleet carrier, how much would you bump up up? Bump that number up two percent to to what? Oh man! I mean, right now. I mean, what's what's your? Yeah, what's like your, like, re, and like. Of course, right, you don't carry right. insurance, right? Sure, you don't like carry it, insurance. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that. And again, really depends on customer segment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you if, if if half of your customers are are automotive suppliers, then the number is much higher. But I, I would think as a let's as say a they rule are rule of thumb, maybe. Maybe ten, maybe ten percent, ten to fifteen percent, if not more. And as a rule of thumb, or if you're exposed to to automakers, expo- and I would say generally across the board, if you're exposed to automakers, it could be higher. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, basically, if you're if you're tied to the oil field right now, it's got to be you, you. You have to be sweating right now if you're tied to the oil yeah. field, right? You, I mean, you're looking at uh, probably a swath of bankruptcies coming in, in 2020. And, you know, if you are tied to, to an industry like oil that has multiple things, multiple headwinds right now, how do you position yourself to, to, to weather that storm just as a kind of a, well, so, a scenario so that, analysis? And we, it's funny. Y'all have even, y'all have, I think, even covered it on this on Great Quarter, guys. Um, is it uh, Dasky? Am I pronouncing that yeah, right? Dasky, yeah. yeah, you are. Yeah, Dasky. All right. Um, so Dasky had their had their earnings uh, earnings call like either last night or recently, like in mm-hmm. the last the last few days. Um, and specifically, one of the investors asked, "What's your exposure to oil and gas?" And they, I think it's I think it's thirteen percent of their total revenues, so fairly exposed. And they are they have seen they're already seeing um, slowdowns in payments, and they, they had some comments on on the risks there. I mean, if you're exposed to an industry right now. Um, like, what do you do? Like, start start figuring out what are wh- what services you're offering to that industry, what your value prop is, and then where there may be overlap from that and other industries. So, I mean, if, if if you're currently specialized in pulling a lot of tanker freight, like, you can't just start selling to to CPGs or retailers. True, true. Um, yeah, you know, tanker freight, heavy haul, and Dasky's heavily, right. you know, it's, it's basically flatbed and, and heavy haul, or the, right. the main two divisions. So that 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 leads you in industrials, manufacturing, oil, and 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 other raw materials. So there's no escaping out of that, and 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 hauling CPG or refrigerated freight. Right, you, you're kind of stuck with, kind of have to play the hand you're dealt. Uh, right now, so it's it's turbulent times for those guys. Yeah, Peter, yeah, I got Peter, I got one last question for you. It's kind of a, just an over, ar- overarching question, kind of re- regarding accounts receivable, but really just uh, your your clients overall. What are the biggest sources of pain and frustration you think that you're hearing from uh, from your clients? 
Yeah, I think it's yeah. I think it's the comment. I think it's the, the 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 points that we talked about a little bit earlier around like everybody's conserving cash. Cash is king, and so the whole the whole ecosystem is starting to fail. I mean, so that's that's the pain. That's the pain that we are hearing about. They've got customers, you know, they've got customers calling them saying, "Hey, we can't make payments now," and it's because our customers aren't paying us. And they're, and so, um, you know, I, I think that, that that the hope is that this stimulus package helps with some of that. But, you know, the, the reality is, um, I do think I think that now, now is where some tough business decisions may need to be made, and and start looking at where there may be expense in your business. That's that's um, that's the nice to have. Um, you know, think like I mean, travel budgets have obviously been been kind of forcefully cut in the short term. But even just looking through, are there are there software subscriptions that you've accumulated that that maybe you're not getting value out of, or are there are there um, I don't know, like, like where, where is their waste? Where is their waste? And, and start calling your vendors and potentially renegotiating pricing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, Peter. Well, I think it's about time to love you and leave you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. You bet. Th- right, thank you, we'll Peter. Talk soon. Thanks, bye. All right, it's a great discussion. There is, uh, you know, we talk about cutting data. There's obviously one data data package out there that we think is is uncuttable and it's providing great great uh, great value to everyone. And that's Sonar, uh, one yeah, of our definitely one of our data sets that we have in Sonar is our DHL supply chain pricing power index, which uh, which comes out every Thursday. Uh, we had an update from it last Thursday. You want to touch on where we're at now, Kevin? Yeah, so so basically we're at 65 right now. So that really represents a ramp up nationally of. Uh, f- uh, freight volume was being 30% above where they were this time last year, which is uh, much much higher than, than any other time in, in basically three years that we've been tracking this. Right. So, our, our, yeah, like Kevin or said, our, our DHL supply chain pricing power index was all the way up at 65. This is the highest that it's been since we began publishing this back in September. You know, we've had we had two 15-point jumps and then a 10-point jump as of last week. So this thing has really violently swung towards the yeah. carriers in the last three weeks. We were, prior to this, in the, in the beginning, you know, the first two months of the year, we were dealing with a kind of a low volume, a dragging volume, and, a, and an overcapacity situation. But now we've seen, you know, over the last three weeks, volumes have surged. They're now tapering off a little bit, uh, but, but capacity is still Tight. Yeah, so so basically, I, I think it, we're still at eighteen uh, percent nationally at tender rejection rate. We went from twenty five to, to sixty five in a matter of three weeks. So two fifteen point moves and then a ten point move. I don't know where we'll go this week. I think we'll probably crawl up a little bit. If it, you know, my gut's telling me we're going to crawl up a little bit, and and where we go from there. I'm uh, not really sure. Yeah, I think we're we're very. Our three we're not, month view isn't all that optimistic. No, it's though. not. Uh, it's not all that rosy. I think if we don't see the peak this week, we'll see it in the next two weeks. I think the carriers have have you know created or, you know the the environment has created a, a pricing power position for carriers. But you know as we see volumes continue to fall off, you know we've said that we think between mm-hmm. forty and you know something like forty percent of volumes are completely safe from uh, the coronavirus and lockdown. That those well, are the consumer of, staples, consumer, right? Right, the consumer goods, the food, uh, now medical supplies have become ever more mm-hmm. important, but that leaves the majority of freight that typically moves by truck and by rail and, and by every mode that's going to be static. It's really not going to be it's moving. Gonna be, yeah, it's going to be very static. We'll, we'll see what, uh, what you know, basically, I, I, I would say, we'll see what GDP reports, but uh, we won't really know the, the official numbers 
until this all passes, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, the GDP is going to be significantly down uh, Q1, even further down Q2. Uh, Q, you know. But with that said, there, there's markets to be, you know, that are going to be hot. There's going to be markets that are going to be horrible. Uh, and those are going to be very volatile going over the next uh basically two months you know? yeah that's something certainly I'm, until june 1st for sure it's gonna be a very volatile market yeah and that's something i spoke about on fair now today say. was that you know right now the epicenter is new york but there's there's a long line of epicenters after new york that are that are going to take longer to to recover new york may be the first to recover and and contain this thing but there's you know they're they're going to have massive impacts up to that point and then you know we may see florida or, or michigan or louisiana yeah, there, being the next, it's all coming the next in waves spot. right you know uh, one thing that, that we've definitely heard uh, one word we've definitely heard over and over and over again we'll, we'll continue hearing this for quite some time is apex you know where does this area or region reach the apex italy might have might have reached it actually yeah uh, it looks though, like they're, you have they're southern italy so. to, to to worry about now so i, I don't really know yeah, and that, you know, the, thinking about one good thing, one silver lining there is that it does allow us, at least on a medical supply front, it allows us to kind of uh, shift resources from mm-hmm. one area to the next where they're in where they're in need most. So the the resources that get shifted shifted to New York, once we get it contained there, they may be able to be shifted elsewhere, which is good. Yeah, uh, you know, good for carriers and things that are moving those medical supplies. Definitely, we, we know that uh, New Orleans is hurting right now, and will probably continue to, to, to hurt going into the future. So that's probably the next, um, at, once you get out of the tri-state New York area, uh, probably New Orleans. But, you know, you're going to have kind of apex after apex or wave after wave of, of these crests. And, and it's going to be a... There's going to be a tough two months. Kevin, what's your expectations for capacity over the next couple of weeks? Do, we, do you think that we see, uh, we see capacity, um, we see outbound tender rejections fall faster than volumes? Do you think that that capacity constraint gets relieved quicker than later? Or, or do you think that capacity even stays tight even though volumes are going to f- uh, fall substantially? I think that it's going to be tighter than, than what we saw in 2019, right? Five, six percent tender rejection rates, which means, you know, every five or six loads out of 100 are rejected by carriers and it's a proxy for for capacity in certain markets and on a national level but i think that you're going to see a lot of drivers uh choose to stay home you know i think um uh, you know i think there's going to be some some real health risks with coming in contact with people all, all over the country by driving all over the country i think you're going to see uh, more COVID-19 cases with, with drivers, and I think you're going to see um, some sit out. So it's going to be kind of, you know, similar to, to maybe Christmas or, or Thanksgiving in the number issues of, of drivers coming off the road. I think uh, you see a bit of a compounding effect of, of volumes falling down and uh, releasing capacity faster than normal, because as, as those volumes fall down, you're going to have spot rates come down as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see some drivers that may think, you know what, it's not even worth me putting myself at risk of this disease for those type of rates. It, it may be right now because spot rates are, yeah. are, are much higher than where they, where they typically yeah. would and be. And, but And you have the CARES Act, too, which, which basically yeah. throws another $600 a week onto unemployment, and it the, the gig workers or owner operators as well mm-hmm. are now, I believe, uh, eligible for for unemployment benefits for the next four months. Right, and and basically you take your state benefits and add six hundred dollars more a week, and you're basically making about the same money maybe in a lot of cases by staying home. 
Right. And as I read it, I think that's correct. Yeah, I think you're correct, too. And, you know, that's that's one of the incentives of, of why, that's one of the reasons that some of these, uh, these some of these senators have been pushing for a high unemployment or high unemployment benefits is so they stay home and they stay off the they stay off the job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there's any environment you want to pay people not to leave their house and not to work, we are in that environment. So right. it makes sense. It's, it's basically social distancing keeping at home you know as much as possible i know we're in the studio right now uh and i come here to the studio and then i go back to my apartment and that's all i do i i I avoid crowds and uh avoid people really well, that's a, that's a good lead-in into, uh, into our next topic, into the long, short segment. We, uh, we have one on crowds and we have one on unemployment, the two topics we just uh, just touched on. We'll start with the unemployment. Uh, as we said earlier, we do have the, the March unemployment rate that will be coming out next, or excuse me, this Friday. Uh, so we'll get a good look of not only the initial jobs claims that have come over in the last two weeks, but we'll get a, you know, a better understanding of where unemployment sits uh, for the month of March. And so we'll go long, short, uh, and let's give a previous reading, the, 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 the February number was 3.5% uh, unemployment for the country. When this number comes out on Friday, do you think we see double digits, long or short? Yeah, double digits. So I, I've, been, I've been thinking that for a couple weeks now. And yeah, I, I think we see double digits, so I'm long. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking uh, as of la- like my first initial thought was that we'd at least double, so meaning we get to seven percent. Because right now we have, uh, or as of February, we had five point seven million uh, unemployed persons out of the one hundred sixty-five thousand, uh, one hundred sixty-five million workforce. So let's just think about the initial jobless claims. If we had three thousand three million last week and another three million this week, we're already uh, above that doubling seven percent. So I think yeah, I think the ten percent mark is actually a, a pretty good range of where we'll be. We are, and it's been a little while since I, 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 I delved into or dived into unemployment numbers. I think it's a, it's a survey that's not connected to the jobless claims, right? So there, there are two separate methodologies and, and data sources where you come up with this. So you're going to have – I know in the unemployment numbers, on the monthly unemployment numbers, you have these statistical – uh, anomalies that that kind of especially in, in, in very quickly changing events, so that could be a wild card to where it might be overreported or underreported for the first month or two before the the this the stats really come into line with with reality. So that that's, that's something to to think about as well. But I, I think the true unemployment rate will be above, uh, and that's U three right. The U three number will be above. Yeah, it's going to be double digits. Yeah, yep. it'll be high. Uh, and so that's that's one sad uh, bit of long short. The next bit is also probably going to be sad. Uh, it is going to be case. sad. The, we're, we heard a, a statement from Kirk Herbstreet, one of the prominent voices in college football. He said last week that he doesn't see there, there's any way, any future in which uh, college football and or the NFL get played this fall. Kevin, are you long or short college football being played in the fall? It's interesting because I saw something last night about the NBA and the NBA is taking they're they're seriously discussing playing all the remainder of the season however many games that might be in a truncated uh, playoff in one location with no fans just to make sure they finish the season right then you have baseball which I don't know if they'll you know who knows about baseball you know they're, they're talking about Clayton Kershaw on an interview that the World Series might be in December, but I don't see that happening. I think 
if they do get to play, it'll be very truncated. So a long-winded way to say is that, uh, you know, I, 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 I might short it. Okay, so but you you're... Know, I'm on the fence about it. I don't really know, but I, I think they might they, they might cancel the NCAAs. So your your but your thought process is that the rest of the uh, the rest of the sports are coming up with contingency plans to not be played in front of crowds. You're you're expecting college football to be in that same boat. I do, yeah. I, I think basically, like like with the spring athletes right now, is that they'll just they'll, they'll move everybody, you know. Yeah, another year a, of eligibility. Year, another year of eligibility. It all boils down really to how comfortable Americans are in crowds in September, right? Do you really want to to, to go be around ninety thousand people? You know, screaming and, and yelling, and, and screaming and, and yelling, terms. and 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 all of that. Do you, are we going to feel comfortable enough? Will all the waves be crested enough too? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I, I um, this is one thing about that, about flattening the curve. This is one of the ideas that people don't really think mm-hmm. about. In that, you know, if if we weren't to flatten the curve, you have this massive spike. Hospitals get overwhelmed. But then shortly after, within a couple months, there you have people getting immunity, uh, getting sick, and then recovering. While you probably have much, many more deaths and many more cases at that mm-hmm. time, you are able to get everyone closer to immunity much faster. Whereas if you flatten this curve, you still have a, a problem of this virus spreading, and you're still going to be taking uh, taking precautions against big crowds and and big uh, and social. In the fall, There's, you know, my, yeah, Dr. Anthony Fauci said Fauci today that, uh, that, yeah. that, a, that a fall spike is, is more than likely um, to, to come back in the fall. So are you comfortable with that? No, I mean, me personally, I'm not. I wouldn't be going to the games. But, but to say that there's a lot of fans, especially in this orange state of Tennessee, that would be willing to risk it to see their team play. Yeah, I think there's plenty of people that would be willing to risk it to go to go see their team play. How about risking to go see Vanderbilt play? Well, we're not worth seeing anyway, so <laughs> no, I don't think I'd risk to go see my, my Commodores. I, I think that's going to be a very interesting question, though. How comfortable comfortable are we going to be this fall in being in crowds, living our, our normal lives, you know, uh, eating at restaurants? You know, that's, that's really the key question that, that I keep coming back to. And this is one thing well, that I... That I had some thoughts about with this consumer sentiment number uh, that I spoke about on Freight Waves Now and on the coronavirus update today is that this is going to be a, a number really to watch because even as a lot of the mm-hmm. consumer economy shut down, you get a little bit of the pulse of the consumer economy. But when when we finally do begin to get this contained, I think people's confidence to go outside and go to the park or go uh, out to eat, that may come back much quicker than their confidence to go to a baseball game or go to a museum or to mm-hmm. go into a big crowd. So, And those are the big ticket items. Those are things that I think those good surveys to do if you're an economist right and we have an economist somewhere around here if you're an economist right you know gauging those consumer sentiment right you know and and taking it piecemeal like that you know shopping again you know restaurants hundred thousand alabama fans right right you gotta gotta be much more confident that this thing is contained before you'd be willing to go do that and that will give you a health of spending really yep because until you're, you're really confident, you're not going to spend as much as you did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. I mean, I, that's why I think this, this recovery is going to be much more gradual uh, than a lot of people are, are expecting or, or projecting. There's just so much uncertainty right now. Any, any projections that we make, we've I talked know, about this. Right. There's just so much, so many variables at play that we can't predict. So, yeah. uh, But we're going to continue to monitor it. We're going to be, I think we're going to end up releasing a survey based on our credit risk uh, discussion are, today. Yes. So, yeah, we'll, so we'll, we'll eventually like, have a, a passport research project coming out here in the coming days about bad risk, uh, about bad debt and credit yeah, risk. Yeah, yeah, next week, I think. I think we're doing 
this is kind of how we're we're doing our research you know talking to peter uh talking on podcasts and, and doing all of that so uh, bless you. No, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, if, if is, anybody yes. hasn't heard yet, sneezing is not a sign of the yes. co- of COVID nineteen. It's a little dusty right so, uh, here. So, that, but but the pollen is her, uh, is hellacious it, it is. here in Chattanooga it, right it, now. It so, is very much so. Uh, but I that has that been that wraps it up. Yeah, yeah. This that has wraps been it up, episode so. twenty two. Uh, we'll yeah. see you guys again next week. Thanks for listening in.